I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where, well, I'm not sure if you noticed, but we haven't recorded in a while. I'm Aaron Bishop, here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey. And this week we are in Job chapter 9 and 10. So yeah, we took a break and meant to record something to kind of let everybody know that, hey, we're going to take a break, and I did not do that. So, hey, guys, we were going to take a break a couple of, like, a month ago. Yeah. And yeah. welcome back. Welcome back from our from our break that I totally let you all know about uh, <laughs> before we, we went on a break. The fall festival season is usually a really busy time for us. There's a lot of planning that has to go on for various events that we do for our local congregation. There's a lot of teachings and just extra stuff on our plate during that time. Added to that, this year, there was it was a really difficult season for us. There were some challenges that came our way, and we just needed a break, frankly, from a lot of the things that we were doing. So we took that break, and we're sorry that we didn't let you, the listener, know about it. In other news, I have started on book number two. Oh, what's that you say? Well, book number two is on its way. Yay! Started writing on it Monday of this week. And I'm about 14 pages in at this point. Got it all outlined and trying to figure out kind of how to fit at least the initial thoughts together. Uh, once that's in place, usually flows fairly well. But the other book, the first book, should be out by Hanukkah. The publisher has been working on it diligently, and they are shooting for that Hanukkah deadline. So it will be available for you and your family to purchase once uh, once Hanukkah rolls around. Uh, the name of the book is The Power of Passover, The Christian's Guide to the Festival of Redemption. And I bet that it would make a great Hanukkah gift. It would make a great Hanukkah gift, and it would make a great prep guide for hosting your own Passover, if that is something that you would like to do. It is it is geared exactly for that audience. Um, or for your Christian friends who are asking you, well, why do you even keep Passover? Why, why would you do that? And for them, it would make a great stocking stuffer. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so look forward to that in the next couple months and then uh, book number two before the end of next year. Uh, hopefully before mid-next year is kind of what I'm shooting for. Hopefully the publisher can follow through on that. So yeah, otherwise, we're back at it. We're pushing forward with Deresh Chai. One other note, I'm going to be taking somewhat of a break on the YouTube stuff while I'm working on this book. So the Bishop's Blurb will not be coming out probably during this time. I won't do any blurbs. And the uh, 
patterns bible explorations will likely come out about once every two weeks or so just to kind of keep the stuff flowing i'm going to be working on the bible and trying to finish the the last books of the patterns bible before we can publish the writings which is the last portion that we need to get out i do shoot to get the podcasts out continually on youtube so that um that doesn't get interrupted so with all that, we are back in the book of Job. And just kind of as a refresher, in the last episode, we heard from Bildad uh, against Job. And as we discussed it, we recognized that Bildad was really putting the traditions of his fathers in as his lens through which he was viewing Job's situation. And, and, the tra- and that view was very much the... Good people have good things happen to them. Bad people have bad things happen to them. And that was what everybody at that time believed, even Job. Right. Well, and that's what a lot of people even today believe. It's the most simplistic view of the world. Why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a very common question. And we we hear that question even today. And honestly, if we are truly honest with ourselves, we ask ourselves that question uh, that is, that is true. all the time. That is all true. of us do. When we when we face difficult times, our usual go-to response is, God, why me? Why am I still doing suffering this? What have I done to deserve this kind of uh, response from you or this kind of circumstances in my life? And that's the that's what Job is wrestling with. So this he's Heard two of his friends, Eliphaz the Temnite and Bildad the Shuhite. And uh, this week we have Job's answer to Bildad. And as he goes through this, a lot of what Job has to say is very similar to what he has previously said. He repeats a lot of the same themes. He repeats a lot of the same ideas. And he's he's stuck in this cycle in his head, this, this cycle of argument in his head. And I'm, I think, again... We do see him somewhat responding to Bildad the way he did to Eliphaz, where he is kind of sort of touching on what Bildad said, but he's, again, taking it to God. Right. His his response is directed towards God, not towards Bildad specifically. He's heard what Bildad has had to say, and he's kind of wrestling with that. He's wrestling with this input from his friend with God now, rather than with Bildad, which is an important thing that we should try to practice when we go through difficult times, is to take the things that our friends say about our situation. Oh, you're just not doing it right. Oh, you're you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Oh, you've sinned. Oh, whatever. And go to God and say, is this true? Yeah. Is this true? Am I really in the wrong? Is, right. is, is there anything to what they say? And and wrestling with that. So it, he does in a way do that, but he uses he instead of you to God. So he sort of is, but he sort of isn't. He sort of is talking to um he he sort of is talking to Bildad. Right. But it is still in that same kind of vein where he's still talking to God. Even in, in chapter nine, he is. But in chapter ten, he he re- then directs it straight towards God. Verse two, yeah. I say to God, and then it becomes a one-on-one with God Himself. Yeah. So let's go ahead and let's read these chapters, and then let's uh, dig in. 
Job chapters 9 and 10. Job responded and said, Truly, I know it is so, but how can one be righteous before God? If anyone wishes to contend with him, he could not answer him once in a thousand. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has restrained him and come out whole? He moves mountains, yet they do not know it. Who overthrows them in his anger? Who shakes the earth from its place until its pillars tremble? Who speaks to the sun so it does not rise and seals up the stars? He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He makes the bear, Orion, and Pallades, and the constellations of the south. He does great and unfathomable things, wonders beyond number. If he were to pass by me, I would not see him. Were he to move past me, I would not perceive him. If he were to snatch away, who can restrain him? Who could say to him, What are you doing? God does not restrain his anger. Under him, the helpers of Rahab cower. How then can I answer him or choose my words with him? Even if I were right, I would not answer. I would implore the mercy of my judge. Even if I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he would listen to my voice. He who crushes me with a storm and multiplies my wounds for no reason, he does not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a question of strength, certainly he is the mighty one. If it is a matter of justice, who will summon me? Even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were guiltless, it will declare me perverse. I am guiltless. I have no concern for myself. I despise my life. It is all the, it is all the same. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. If a scourge smites suddenly, he mocks the despair of the innocent. If the land falls into the hand of the wicked, he blindfolds the faces of its judges. If it's not he, then who is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away without seeing goodness. They slip by like reed boats, like an eagle swooping down on its prey. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be cheerful. I still dread all my pains, for I know you will not find me innocent. If I am condemned, why should I struggle in vain? If I wash myself with melted snow and cleanse my hands with lye, then you would plunge me into a pit and my own clothes would detest me. For he is not a human being like I am, that I could answer him, that we could go to court together. There is no arbiter between us. Who could lay his hand on us both? Who could remove his rod from me so that his terror would not frighten me? Then I would speak and not fear him, except it is not so with me. I loathe my life. I will give full vent to my complaint. I will speak out of the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Tell me why you contend with me. Is it good for you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands, while you smile on the plans of the wicked? Do you see as a human being sees? Are your days like those of a mortal, or your years like those of a strong man, that you should seek out my iniquity and search out my sin? Though you know that I am not guilty, yet there is no one to deliver from your hand. Your hands molded and fashioned me. Will you now destroy me completely? Remember you fashioned me like clay. Will you return me to dust? 
Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You gave me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you have hid in your heart, for I know that this is with you. If I sinned, you would watch me and not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. Even if I am innocent, I cannot lift my head. I am full of shame and conscious of my affliction. If my head is held high, you hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your anger toward me. Change and warfare are with me. Why then did you bring me out of the womb? I should have died so no one would have seen me. If only I had never come into being or been carried from womb to grave. Are not my days few? Then stop, leave me alone so I might have a little joy before I depart and never return to the land of darkness and the shadow of death, the land of utter darkness, the deepest darkness and disorder where even the light is like darkness. And Job is, he's a little bipolar in this one. Yeah, he's, uh, he is really struggling still. I mean, obviously this, he is struggling with these questions. He feels like God is absolutely destroying him, which is a fair assessment of his life, yeah, I think. I mean, absolutely. If we were going through that, we would definitely feel those feelings too. Oh, right. I go through and, much less and I struggle with these feelings. And the darkness and the deep, deep, utter darkness, it's... It's so much despair. Right. How is a man right with God? How can you even dispute with God? He won't even answer you. One time out of a thousand, there's no answer. He's wise of heart. He's potent in power. And who's hardened his heart against God and has found peace in his life? Against what God is doing in his life and has found peace. He removes mountains. He just goes on and on just describing. How do you even communicate with a God who is so vast and big and who seems so disconnected from your life. And that's the key right there is the disconnect. It's the, I'm begging for God to answer me. I'm begging for God to speak to me, to, to live, you know, to be in my life. And I can't, hear him or feel him or see him or understand what's going on and i don't know how to do deal with that and that is frankly something that we all struggle with i think to one degree or another we struggle with these thoughts of this vast enormous universe wide uh, bigger than a universe god outside of time outside of space he, he knows our hearts he knows our thoughts he knows our actions he he knows everything about us and we're supposed to somehow have a relationship with him. And in this relationship, we're supposed to communicate with him. But hearing from him is so difficult. How do you have a relationship with someone that you can't communicate with? And that is hard. That is very hard. I know that if I don't communicate with my wife... It, it, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. Yeah, very quickly things start to descend into into utter chaos in our household. Uh, we we have to communicate. Even we have to compare schedules. We have to 
figure out workloads, who's doing what, when, where, how, what do we need here? What, what? And when we were struggling and it was hard to communicate, our lack of communication, our um, shutdown of our relationship drastically had effects on our kids and yeah. it it had fallout on others around us not just the two of us right because we started communicating with others about our spouse rather than communicating to our spouse which mm-hmm. which was difficult and i'll tell you it's it's so easy to talk to others about god than it is to talk to God. Yeah, I really do agree with that. It's very hard, especially when you try to just pray quietly, because at least for me, I get distracted oh, yeah. so fast. And I'm <laughs> and I'm praying, and the next thing I know, I'm creating a story in my head about people that i didn't you know that i knew 20 years ago and it's like what in the world thinking of oh i should have said this in this situation or right or oh wait i've got to go do this thing tomorrow or any number of things there's always something that seems to get in the way when you play pray quietly Mm -hmm. even when i pray out loud sometimes that happens but it's less frequent right when i'm being intentional and praying out loud Right, and and I think that's one of the keys that we need to engage in when we try to communicate with God. Because I wouldn't communicate to my wife through telepathy. I'm not sitting here projecting my thoughts into her brain. Yeah, and, you, it and would hoping, not go well. <laughs> I, I've tried that. It doesn't work. <laughs> I've tried it several times. Just, come on, read my thoughts. You know what I want. Just look at me and you'll figure it out. Type. It doesn't go well. Um, so why do we treat God that way? I mean, yes, he knows our thoughts, but why do we treat God as simply something that happens in our thoughts? Mm-hmm. We have to we have to be more willing to open up and to to speak aloud to him. And it's good for us as much as it is for our our relationship with him because we then engage multiple processing centers in our brain. We're not just thinking through ideas and words. We're, we're having to then formulate them into words and sentences. Uh, we're hearing we're them hearing it as back. it's coming back in. Right. And it, you can even, uh, the movie War Room, you can write it down, engage your, your senses of, of putting it on paper and sight and engage the whole body well, as, and you're, you know, as you're praying. When I, Try to get the kids to memorize stuff. Mm -hmm. The way that I taught them to memorize stuff is write it out Mm -hmm. and say it while you're writing it. Right. Because it engages every part of your brain. Right. And it, it makes you memorize things a lot faster. Well, at the same time, if we were to do that with our prayers, it would engage every part of our brain Mm -hmm. every part of our being really and help us to engage help us to relate yeah help us to engage that's that's probably the best way to say it so yeah chapter nine it really is just that that continual cycle going through job's head and this is really important especially for people who are going through some sort of trauma or some sort of persecution or some sort of downtime is we'll start on this cycle mm-hmm. and i'm sure all of you are familiar with the cycle that that thought cycle of of 
why is this happening? How can I address this? God, why are you doing this to me? And and you just keep asking these questions over and over and over and again. Feeling and feeling like you're getting them nowhere. And feeling like you're getting nowhere. Right. And Job seems to be stuck in that cycle right now. Um, as part of this grief that he's going through, as part of trying to come to terms with what he's experiencing and and trying to relate it to someone else mm -hmm. um, because one of the important things of going through grief and going through trauma you have to talk about it right you have to talk about it to even begin to come to terms with it if you hold it in nothing is going to get solved it, it just festers and and becomes infected and, and it will explode someday i do think that's what he's doing in chapter nine because he's talking about god in third person he did this he he makes this he right. And and I think he's kind of talking it out to Bildad at this point. But I know for me, when I am really struggling with something, I have to verbally process. And I think that's kind of what he's doing here. Right. So I need to talk it out with someone. I need to just even say it out loud, but especially to somebody who can hear it. Right. And it does help formulate things in fact i've i've found that sometimes before i even finish talking to someone about my situation i already know the answer and they don't even need to respond right because right. i've you know i just needed that person to hear me yeah yeah there's a couple ideas in this that really stick out to me like the idea of though if though i had called verse 16 and he answered me I wouldn't believe that he was listening to my voice. I'm in oh. such a despairing state right now that were I to call out and I were to hear his answer, I wouldn't believe it was him. I've felt that mm -hmm. many times. Mm -hmm. One of the things that sticks out to me just in this over overview of the situation, it, just in this overview of the chapter, is that he's talking about he makes the bear and Orion a Pallades and we're going to see God respond with those exact things right. later. So one interesting thing about those three particular constellations, um, the way that the, the universe works and our planet moving amongst the stars works, eventually over the course of several thousand years, so several, I mean, I hesitate to say hundreds of thousands of years, the constellations, most of the constellations will change. Because they're galaxies or nebulae or stars that are moving in opposite directions from each other. There's just these various things that are going on. These three constellations won't. Hmm. These three constellations are actually in lockstep with the Earth. Hmm. And then in the Milky Way galaxy as it spirals around, we'll always have those three constellations in our sky, regardless of how much time passes. Wow, I didn't know that. So That's pretty cool. even though other constellations may or may not have been present during Job's day, those three would have been present. Hmm. And they, we have records of those three constellations specifically in countless ancient records. Um, now, there are other constellations because, I mean, let's face it, on the scale we're talking about in the universe and the stars and so on and so forth, it takes several thousand years for them to move enough to not be the constellation that it was again. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that the, makes the, sense. It, it just takes such vast amounts of time that we're never going to see it, and our grandchildren are never see it. And a thousand years from the road, most of the constellations, the vast majority of the constellations in the sky are still going to be basically the same constellation. But mm-hmm. given a long enough timeline, you go a hundred thousand years in the future, two hundred thousand, a million years in the future, the all of the other constellations are going to morph and deform and move, whereas these three will stay the same. That's pretty cool. It's a really cool little feature fact that I learned about uh, the cosmology um, back when I was studying science and, and everything as I was trying to figure out God and figure out everything. Uh, and then to find those three specific constellations being the one that Job was referring to and then that God later refers to yeah. in his response was just like, wow, okay. That's cool. a That's a significant piece of, of data pointing to God being true through cosmology. Mm-hmm. So, that, I, what I really like about chapter nine is that it starts the it starts the conversation that God then picks up later. Yeah, you know it's it's his perspective about God, and we can see. I mean, if we read through here. He's got a lot of things right, but he's got a lot of things wrong. Right. And God meets him where he is, if you will, in the later chapters and says, okay, you've already said these things about me, but did you know I can do this? And did you know this? And did you know this? And it's it's pretty cool to see that God uses even his, almost his own language, not against him per se, but to explain himself. That is really cool that God is continuing on in this conversation and in the same vein that Job introduces and brings up. Uh, it, it lets us know that God hears our complaints, that he considers our complaints, he that cares. he has an answer for our complaints, yeah. and uh, that he He does care. Um, another bit of imagery that really stuck out to me in, in chapter 9 is verse 30 and 31. If I washed my hands with snow water and I cleansed my hands with, with lye, mine says soap, but with lye, then you would plunge me into a ditch and my garments shall pour me. Uh, this mm-hmm. idea that there, how do I get clean before you? If, if what I'm living right now, the way I'm living isn't right before you, then how could I possibly get clean before you? I could go and I could wash myself with this super abrasive substance that's going to burn me. And it still wouldn't be clean before you. How, how do I even possibly get clean before you? And and then in two verses later, verse 33, he says, For there is no mediator between us to lay hands upon us both and to solve this issue between us. Mm-hmm. So he's saying, I can't get clean before God, and there's no mediator to bring us together. It's it's almost as if it's a cry for a Messiah. It is. It absolutely is. I, even if he doesn't necessarily know that it is. Right, right. I, I I recognize I can't be clean before you to the degree that I need to be. There's no possibility of doing it. And there's no no one to stand in the gap between us. Now, we see Moses acts as a mediator mm-hmm. in the Torah. Um, but that may be after Job. Right. It probably was after Job. Yes. Um, if Job was any of the three characters that... Uh, that we, we started out with. Right, right. Um, there, is a, there is a thought that Job is a later document. Regardless, we, we don't really know. 
when Job was written. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, if he's one of those three that we pinpointed earlier in episode one, then, yeah, this all happened before Moses. And there was no mediator between God and man. And I like how the imagery of the the snow, washing in snow, mm-hmm. and remembering David's words that says, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Right. And, right. I, and purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a couple of, of places that speak of that. But uh, this uh, one that's been coming to me uh, that just kind of speaks to this whole scenario that Job is dealing with is many are the sufferings of the righteous. You know, we the contemporary thought for Job was the righteous have no sufferings. They're righteous. God won't punish them. And yet the Bible says, no, no, the righteous suffer. Mm-hmm. The righteous probably suffer more than anyone else because God tests and he tries and he disciplines the righteous. And he he builds and he, he strengthens and he, he gives character. And all of that requires pain and suffering in some way. But pain is constructive. Right. And that's one thing that we have to remember. Some pain is constructive. When we're going through it. I, I, I don't know. There's the there's, there's the old adage. Pain. There's the old adage. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There's true. Um, there's also the the quote. Uh, the great thing about pain is it lets you know you're still alive. Right. Uh, but there are some pains that that don't build up, but that tear down. Um, Two hundred years ago, the number one cause of death was suicide because of toothache. Because of mm. the, the unending pain of a toothache that just couldn't be solved. Um, maybe not the number one cause of death, but one of the, a significant cause of death was a, the unending toothache that just could not be solved with any of the science of the day. Mm. And that's a destructive pain. It's not something that's building up. It's something that you know, hey, this is wrong. But there was no solution to that pain. Yeah. And a pain without a solution is a destructive pain. Yeah. So, but, and that's that's currently what Job feels, right? That there's no solution to this, right? But my point is that there is, in fact, a solution, right? In Job's situation, there is a solution, and for most of the pain we experience, there is a solution. Uh, it's a lot like uh, basic training. One of the goals, especially in in older uh, basic training, uh, military training. One of the goals was to break a person, to to cause them to become so pain, so full of pain, so hurt, so broken down, to to destroy their ego, to to tear them down, so that they could be built back up again. In in the image of the army or mm-hmm. the military, and that is a tactic that has used been used throughout history for training, for building up, for for getting people prepared to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And honestly, we went through something similar. Right. We had, uh, for our basic training, if you will, (laughs) we had all of our beliefs challenged and shaken and 
even broken yeah. and stripped away until we got to either nothing at all or the most basic understanding of who God was. And God reformed us into believing what he wanted us to believe. To, to being closer to his image than yes. we were before. Yes. I won't say we're there yet. Well, I'm, I wasn't going to. <laughs> right, right. But, but he's, you know. he's built us into something that is much closer to his image and what he, the plan he has for our life. Mm-hmm. And and it hasn't stopped. Right. I mean, we've we've struggled. We have struggled even since then. But, oh, definitely. But it's to a point. There's there's a purpose, and it's a building up purpose, even though it's very very painful. Right. It's Israel in the wilderness where the old generation, the old man, so to speak, had to pass away before the new man could take his place and, and do what God needed him to do. Mm-hmm. And even that new man wasn't perfect. The new man still didn't quite get it. The new generation, they, they failed in some ways, mm-hmm. but they were capable of doing what God needed them to do in the moment. Right. And it took that stripping away of everything that... that bringing out into a wilderness and denying food and water for a time and then providing just the bare necessities of food and water for a time, uh, you know, of just allowing them to survive and subsist in, in nothing and strip away all of the, everything that had come before and strip away all of those people who wanted to go back mm-hmm. and rebuilding the entire nation. And we each kind of go through that in our own lives. Any believer who truly believes in God and seeks after him is going to go through times like that. They're going to go through these wilderness experiences where nothing is going right, where things are stripped away, where you you feel like you're stripped down to the bare bones, barely subsisting, and you have to rely on God. And then once you're to that point, then he can build you back up. So... One of the things that we didn't mention before, well, we kind of did, was the bipolarness of Job. Mm, and right. he's talking about in verse 20, even if I were innocent, my mouth would condemn me. If I were guiltless, it would declare me perverse. And then in 21, he says, I am guiltless. I have no concern for myself. I despise my life. It, he's he's like, if oh, I were guiltless... I would still be perverse, but I am guiltless. He's he's not really even deciding on he he doesn't know what he's trying to say. He does, but he doesn't, and it's very it's bipolar. Right. So yours puts it that way, uh, which is interesting. Mine phrases it all as questions. Okay. If I am righteous, my mouth would declare me wrong. Am I perfect? Question. It would declare me perverse. Am I perfect? Question. Do I not know my own being? Question. I despise my life! Exclamation. Ah, okay. So that's a very different. Right. It's a different way of looking at those verses. Um, He's questioning himself, it seems, in my translation. Whereas yours comes off as bipolar. I am righteous, and yet I'm stricken. I am. I'm perfect in all that I've done, and yet I hate my life. You know this this super high but deep depth. Right. bouncing off of each other in, in mine it's that it's that self-reflection okay it, my circumstances are showing me something that would in my mind 
prove me to be not righteous. And yet I can't think of anything that's, that's, that I've done that wasn't righteous. So am I really righteous? What, is there something that I'm missing? What's going on? How, how do I even know? I, I can't, I can't even trust my own eyes. I, I can't even trust my own, my own thoughts. Yeah. Because they're not condemning me. And yet, my circumstances are condemning me, which ipso facto means God is condemning me. Right. So yeah, it's, it's that self, it's that self searching. It's that same old wheel. That's a cycle of thoughts that just keeps running around. You get to the end and you just keep going around. You start mm -hmm. over and it's the same did cycle I, of, of mine was more along the lines of, did I hear you correctly? Did I make it up in my head? Am I, am I completely just off base here? No, I know I heard you. I know you told me to do this, but, but look at what it is. Look where we are. Look what's right. going on. What in the world, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my, my wheel that I was. Right, right. Running. Yeah. For those, for those who don't know, that's a wheel we've been on for, for quite some time is because we believe God has asked us to, to do ministry, to, to work in these areas. And yet. We we do it, and there are times where it's like, did we do we hear God right? Did he did he really ask us to do this? Because the the way that the world is stacked up against us right now, I don't see how this could be a good thing. Yeah, I don't see how this can be the results of doing what God's asked us to do. But and yet and yet, I know that he has told me to do this. I, I've asked him on several occasions, if you want me to do this, then you have to do this thing right here. And he does it right. every time when every I get time. to that point And I say, you've got to let me know that this is what you've told me to do. He does it every time, every single time. But then we get to the point where it's like, but, but did I but, hear but, but, him right? But everybody's hating on us and everybody's telling us we shouldn't be doing this. And everybody's, right questioning and, and we're questioning ourselves and, and you know it just it goes on and on and on and uh, yeah it gets difficult and that cycle it, it is a treadmill that that just keeps circling and circling and circling uh, and that's why it's so important that we do what chapter 10 represents so let's go to chapter 10 he's in that 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 uh, hamster wheel on chapter 9 mm -hmm. that he's been in for so long and in chapter 10, he takes these questions that he's having that he's kind of thinking over out loud with his friend, it seems, and he's turning it to God. Mm -hmm. And he's making it a prayer now. He, he's actually speaking to... He's kind of stepping out of the hamster wheel and taking it to somebody who can do something about it. Right, right. Yeah, and so he, he once again, he said this before, my soul has grown weary of my life, so I'm going to let loose of my complaint, and I'm going to speak in the bitterness of my being. He said these words before. He said them to God before. Mm -hmm. And and then he's, you know, he continues, I speak to God. Do not declare me wrong. Show me why you strive with me. So he's addressed his concerns. He's gone through the hamster wheel in his mind and he stops and he goes why why are you striving with me why are you hurting me uh is it why good do you, why do you despise the work of your hands yeah is it good that you're crushing me that you yeah that you're despising me 
um, that you that you shine counsel on the wrong and on the wicked. They're all prospering, all these wicked people. Mm-hmm. But look at me. I'm here in this dust pile covered in boils, scraping my skin with pottery with right. with nothing to my name and all everyone i care about is dead and yet the wicked are prospering uh, what kind of eyes do you have do you see as we see because I, this is what i see how do you see uh yeah and he it just continues like that for a while he, he's he's wrestling with the nature of god not being a human and not seeing things our way and operating in ways that we just don't comprehend or, or understand. And he's seeing, he's having a problem with the picture he has in his head of what God is supposed to be. And even, I don't know what scriptures per se that he had at this time, but he certainly had teachings of who God was. And these teachings didn't line up with what he was experiencing either. Right. And that is, that is, that shakes a person to their soul. Right. And that's where he's saying like, God, are you this good God or, or are you not? I don't, I don't understand. Am I wrong about you? Are you actually not good and and i think the beauty of this is that it's okay that he asked these things yeah yeah and that's that's something that i've been trying to get across to myself but also to our local congregation recently is that when you struggle just open up about it it's not like god doesn't know right he doesn't he knows your thoughts he knows what you're struggling with and he can handle them. And I'm sure we've said it here before. I know we've said it here before. God can handle your your darkest thoughts. And, and you know, as a mom, when my kids were real little, and they would have a massive, massive meltdown over one thing or another, I got the wrong color sippy cup, whatever, <laughs> you know, they absolutely would unleash on me. And they would be so mad. And yeah, it, it to a degree it hurt because, you know, when when they say they don't like you, it hurts. But at the same time, you're going, you're a toddler. You do not really mean the things that you're saying. You might think you do, but you don't. And when you get, get your nap and you wake up to... You know, in a couple of hours, you're going to feel a lot better. Right. And you're not even going to remember the the agony of getting the blue cup instead of the pink cup. Right. You know, and I'm trivializing it. I understand that. But, But my point is that if I, as a mom, can handle the temper tantrums and the and the meltdowns of my child, then God, who is so much more infinite... And so much more above our trivialness can understand, hey, you know what? I understand that you are having a really hard time and you do not get it. And that is okay. I can I can handle your temper tantrum. Right. And that's really what I was trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
So one thing that I really like in this chapter is verses nine through uh, through eleven, or uh, sorry, eight through eleven. Uh, he goes through these this cycle of contrasts. So you have made me, you shaped me, and now you're destroying me. So you formed me, and only to now destroy me. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, please, that you made me like clay, but now you're going to turn me into dust again. I was dust. You made me into clay, but now you're turning me into dust again. Why did you even make me this way? Mm-hmm. Um, or did you not pour me out like milk and then curdle me like cheese? You poured me out like milk, like something good and refreshing, and now what you're doing is curdling me, and I'm becoming becoming this lumpy mass that's only good for for cheeses. It, you know, oh, cheese is good. I get that, <laughs> but that's not the point he's making. I know. Um, but yeah, he's he's going through these contrasts, and I, and I think they're, they're just an interesting picture to to, comp, to contemplate. That God, you made me, and now o- only to destroy me, or you, you've formed a clay vessel for me, and, and that's a that's a imagery that's used throughout the Bible, whether it's mm-hmm. Jeremiah, Romans, the, this idea of jars of clay. David, you've made me into this jar of clay. And now you're turning me into dust again. Why did you even make the jar of clay out of the dust in order to return it to the dust? And that's a, that is a really true heart cry of someone who's dealing with death. Mm-hmm. And that's a very specific to death type uh, imagery. It's, it's the futility. Right. It's, it's what's the what's the point? Right, it's that Ecclesiastes. It's mm-hmm. it's all vapor. It's it's all smoke. It's all it's a uh, futile. Uh, but yeah, he and he's he's struggling with this death. You, you made my kids, and now they're dust. Mm-hmm. You know, you made you built me up into this great house, and and you destroyed me and brought me right back down low. You know what? Yeah, what is the point of this? Why? And through all of this, we we hear echoes of David again. He he really takes a lot of the imagery in Job and and develops mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. on the other side of of the the process. He's not he doesn't usually take these words and and continue the agony of the despair but he takes them and says you knit me together in my mother's womb you you um you formed me you fashioned me you know all of these verse 18 i was i was thinking wait where's verse 18 no here in verse 11 you clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinew oh okay and then and then in in Psalms, he says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Right, right. So verse 18 is, so why have you brought me forth from the womb? Oh, that I had perished and know I had seen me. Uh, mm-hmm. The same same type of ideas. You've, you, you caused me to come forth. Mm-hmm. And yet, this is my, my lot. This is what I get. This is my reward. Mm-hmm. And it is that, that struggle with grief. It is, um, I hate to harp on it, but this, that's such a huge part of this book is that struggle with grief, with just abject loss, with no reason, no meaning, just 
they're gone. They were there one moment, you're smiling, you're happy, you're having a great time. Poof. Never to be seen again. Uh, and that's yeah. a that is a and fact it, of our it's life not and just, it's difficult. I mean, there is there's the grief of the slow decline. Right. And when that person passes, there's there's release. Yeah. There's relief. Right. There's there's closure. Right. But this is a dramatic death. Right. This is a catastrophic death. Right. This is there's no closure here. Yeah. He it, has no closure whatsoever. It reminds me of a scene from a uh, a show we watched recently where a guy is talking to his wife on the phone as he watches her car come around the corner at the end of the street and he's walking up the street toward her and they're having a chat about what they're going to do for dinner. And as he's watching the car approach, suddenly a car comes on a side street, just wipes it out and they're gone in an instant. Mm -hmm. And the good part of that show is him struggling with that grief and trying to find closure uh, for the sudden loss of his wife and his daughter. And it, it just really hit home kind of this idea of that sudden snatching away of someone that you care about yeah, and the, the seeming meaninglessness of it all. Right. Um, because that's, that's one thing that a lot of atheists and philosophers will point to is the meaninglessness of it all. It all seems chaotic. It all seems as though there's no meaning. There's no point that, you know, death comes and snatches the righteous just as much as the wicked, if not more. Mm -hmm. And in an instant, and so, obviously, there's no God because God wouldn't allow something like that to happen, being the, the conclusion that they reach. Mm -hmm. And Job's struggling with the same thing. Yeah, he's definitely, and he just lets God know he is struggling. He is not mincing words. Nope. He is, I mean, you get to the end of chapter 10 and, and you just want to curl up in the fetal position and like suck your thumb or something it is it is the, the deepest darkest despair you could possibly imagine right i want to i want to hide in the darkest hole the farthest thing from you the farthest thing from any kind of light because there is no light or life or hope in my life and and this is the only the only thing i want to do is just curl up and die yeah i want to find that cave that's in the middle of nowhere and descend down into it and and just ceased to be and that's where it ends that's where the yeah. end of chapter 10 is and that's the end of his speech too because the next thing we see is so far, so far. yeah so he just leaves it wallowing in the dust right he's still he is still in this place of just abject despair 10 chapters in he's only talked to, to two of his friends though um, right and this is where he's still at um and he's still kind of on that hamster wheel. He's still trying to figure this whole thing out. And I think the, he, the truth of it is he's never going to figure it out. Right, right. And that's kind of where God go, takes him is, who are you to question what I'm doing? I've got a plan. It's bigger than you can even begin to comprehend. Rest easy knowing that this is not for no purpose even though it seems like it's completely without purpose right now rest yeah. assured there is purpose to this there's a reason for your suffering and and i think that's something that we really need to hold on to All right 
because we do suffer. Right. We are human and we suffer. Right. The end. It is ipso facto, you are human, you suffer. The end. It is not a, oh, well, I'm good, so I shouldn't have to. Right, yeah. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to go through stuff. And if you see somebody that you think has never suffered, I promise you don't know that person. (laughs) Yeah. Because there's not a single person on this planet that has not suffered or will not suffer. Right. Right. And it's got a purpose. That's the that's the note I think we need to end on is and that that the book of Job ends on is that in the midst of it when you don't have any light and there's no joy in your life and there's nothing worth any kind of of even reason for continuing to live there doesn't seem to be anything but when we get to the end of the book we're going to see there is a purpose it is not something we could discern. It's not our it's purpose. It's not our right. It's not our purpose. That's that's important. And it's not uh It's not understandable as a human necessarily. Yeah. There's going to be times when your suffering does make sense in the end. Um my my food allergies. It made sense eventually, eventually. but not in the moment. Right. That took a good 20 years to to get to the bottom of those and figure out what was going on there and then to find the purpose for it all. But, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's the, you don't know how the stars work. Now we, we're getting closer and we think we know, but every time we discover something, the more we find out we don't know when it comes to that, you don't know how the snow is stored up in the heavens. Okay. We've got scientific explanations for that, but we still don't understand how it works, why it works that way. Uh, you don't know the depths of the seas. And that's We've true. Never, we don't know. The, the bottom of the sea every, has every never been fully explored. And yet God knows it all. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we like to think that we live in this modern age where we know everything. And it's true. We know way more than we used to, but we still don't know God. Mm-hmm. We still don't know his plans. We still don't even know <laughs> the number of organs in the human body, apparently. <laughs> right. Um, we like to think we know everything, that we're we're so highly advanced, but we don't. We don't know. And that's part of the humility that we have to have as humans. And God points to that and says, just as much as you don't know how these things work or what they're like or the innermost working and beings of of creatures that we've never even seen, just as you don't know that, you don't know my plans. Mm-hmm. You don't know what I'm doing, but what I'm doing is for good. It is for good. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, with so we, that, we leave Job... In despair. Absolute despair. But we can have hope. Right. So with that, seek life. In all that you do. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to seeklifesc.com. 
That's seeklifesc.com. We'll see you again next time as we dare Shai, as we seek life. Shalom.